I'm Edgar Cruz with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Stephen Renderos, the organizing director at the Center for Media Justice, the home of the Media Action Grassroots Network, otherwise known as Magnet. The center works to fight for the digital and media justice rights of all people. Stephen, welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you for having me, Edgar. Stephen, will you please introduce yourself for our audience? Sure. Um, so as you said, my name is Stephen Renderos. I am the organizing director here at CMJ. Um, I've been with the organization for uh, over five years at this point, um, but a lot of my entry point into this work was really started as a, as a community organizer. I worked for a tenants union right out of college, um, working to organize residents of manufactured home parks or trailer parks, as some folks might know them as. That work um, ultimately led me to the work that I do today because I, I realized how communities are represented in the media makes a huge difference in terms of the types of policies that you're able to advocate for, so, which is why I've dedicated a good portion of my, my career to, to fighting for um, the media and technology rights of poor people and people of color in the U.S., Thank you. We're certainly really thankful for that route that led you to this incredible work you do. First, will you give us a snapshot of media justice achievements that have happened over the past 13 to 15 years as they relate to the FCC? Yeah, you know, thanks to the wonderful work of some of the groups within our network, um, some of the things that we've been able to accomplish over the last few years include passing laws like the Local Community Radio Act, um, which helped to make available um, licenses to build more community-based radio stations. You know, that law was passed in 2010. Um, At this point, we have close to almost a thousand new radio stations that are popping up all over the country. Many of those radio stations are actually members of our network magnet. We also helped to pass laws that made the cost of phone calls from prisons and jails more affordable. We've been able to pass laws to keep the Internet open uh, under a set of rules known as net neutrality, which essentially guarantees that all voices online are treated equally, that your Internet service provider, uh, Verizon or Comcast or Charter, is not allowed to discriminate um, what websites you can and cannot visit. These have been some of the some of the places in addition to helping to stop big mergers from happening like the AT&T and T-Mobile merger or the Comcast Time Warner merger from a couple of years ago. Our work and this network in particular, Magnet, has been very instrumental in terms of fighting to win some of these campaigns. Um, so we've been incredibly successful in terms of increasing the opportunity of poor people and people of color in the in the U.S. to have access to tools to tell their own stories. But under this current administration, obviously, as we pivot there, um, you know, under Trump, uh, a lot of these victories um, are coming under risk. Absolutely. Why are the FCC's decisions so important to communities of color and to the broader community? For sure. You know, so the Federal Communications Commission was set up um, under the express purpose of connecting all people in the United States to the communications platforms of their time. So back when it was first established, that platform was the telephone. Um, It was the thing that people needed in order to participate in everyday society. Mm -hmm. Um, Over the years that, you know, those platforms have transitioned from the telephone to radio to TV um, to cable, 
to, you know, nowadays the Internet. But in addition to that, they're a regulatory agency that's able to create laws like who gets to own TV stations and radio stations. So they're an incredibly powerful agency. Um, and you wouldn't think so because there's only like five people that sit on the commission. Um, but they, they create a lot of the laws that impact our, our day-to-day interactions with communications. Right. And talking about these sort of the small group of what feels like elusive, powerful groups of people, who makes up the FCC? And what can you tell us about the current chair? Sure. So the Federal Communications Commission is set up as a five-person body. And um, the predominant party corresponds to whoever is in power in the White House. So if we're under Democratic leadership in the White House, Um, We have three commissioners at the FCC, and it goes back and forth just based on which party is in power um, in the White House. Obviously, currently under Trump, um, that means that we have a Republican majority on the FCC. And the current chairman of the FCC is a person by the name of Ajit Pai. Um, He was previously a commissioner at the FCC before being promoted to the job of chairman by Trump. Um, he previously worked for Verizon as a lawyer for Verizon. And, you know, obviously Verizon's one of the biggest internet service providers, but also just biggest media companies in the mm-hmm. U.S. And he also previously worked for uh, Jeff Sessions as a policy counsel. And Jeff Sessions, you might know today as our current attorney general, um, he is also the person who back in the 80s um, was considered too racist to be a federal judge. So that just gives you a little flavor of, you know, his background. Um, You know, we have two other Republican commissioners currently there, um, Brendan Carr, who was who is the most recent addition, um, and Michael O'Reilly. They're both people who come from a perspective of less regulation is better. Looser regulations, fewer protections are better um, for you know, to support innovation for companies. Um, So they don't necessarily care about protections for people. On the Democratic side, we have two commissioners that have been strong champions on many of the issues that we um, that we have fought for, including Mignon Clyburn, who was the first African-American woman to serve on the commission. Um, She's been a strong champion for issues like, um, you know, affordable phone calls from prisons, you know, as well as uh, net neutrality. Um, And Jessica Rosenworcel, who is the other Democratic commissioner, and she is someone who has been extremely passionate about um, closing the homework gap. So, you know, young children who don't have, you know, school-age children who don't have access to the Internet at home, um, that presenting like a real challenge for people to get a 21st century education. So that's the current makeup of the FCC. Republicans control it. um, And under um, Chairman Pai's leadership, they've been able to do some pretty destructive things. Right. It definitely sounds like it. And it's definitely a reflection of our current administration uh, in less than one year under this uh, administration, what are some of the major changes that are being proposed? As, as you say, you know, a reflection of our current administration um, within the FCC, um, one of the first things that this current chairman did was refuse to defend the prison prison telephone reforms that the previous FCC had passed last year. So these were reforms that made the cost of phone calls from prisons more affordable between you know, people who are incarcerated and their loved ones. It instituted some strong protections, um, preventing prison telephone companies from charging excessive fees and charging, you know, an additional tax to, to families who could barely afford to stay in touch with their loved ones. 
those reforms were um, part of a lawsuit um, brought on by the big telephone companies. And, you know, under his leadership, he basically refused to defend it in court, which, you know, more or less guaranteed that, you know, the big companies would win, which they did. So that was one of the first things that he did. Uh, He's currently trying to relax um, broadcast ownership rules. So these are the rules that dictate who can and cannot own your local newspapers, TV stations, and radio stations. Under previous uh, versions of the FCC, there have been strong safeguards to protect from having the same person or same company own all of the newspapers, all of the TV stations, all of the radio stations in your local community, because having one person control your entire media market could be pretty devastating. That means that one person gets to shape uh, what stories go into the newspaper, what stories end up on the radio, what music gets played there, um, what stories end up on your you know, five o'clock evening news on your TV uh, as part of your TV station. Mm-hmm. Um, and related to that, he's currently considering um, a pretty hefty merger between these two companies, um, Sinclair and Tribune, which own a lot of TV stations, a lot of newspapers in local cities. If this merger goes through, which is like a $4 billion transaction, you know, Sinclair will have access to 72% of the homes in the United States, meaning that they'll have access to providing news for 72% of the country. Um, Previously, under the previous rules, no one company could own more than 39%. So that's a huge increase. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're going to have a very captive audience of people. And if you don't, if you're not familiar with Sinclair, they're a company that generally leans conservative. So you can imagine the types of stories that they're going to want to promote through their TV stations. The other thing that this current um, chairman is doing is um, trying to dismantle uh, the Lifeline program, which is a program that supports you know, low-income people and being able to connect to a telephone, a cell phone, or the internet. Um, He's essentially going to cap the program that limits for, you know, how long people can be on the program and then force poor people to actually pay to participate in the program. Um, So that's like extremely destructive. And then the last thing, which is probably one of the things that we've been most focused on, He's trying to repeal um, the net neutrality rules that um, we fought so hard as an organization, as a network, and um, among many other allies and coalitions um, to win. You know, we passed some rules two years ago. Well, he's trying to repeal those net neutrality rules. So without those rules, um, essentially what will happen is the Internet will not be kind of the open level playing field that it is today where I can search for Generation Justice and read your blog and subscribe to your eWoke newsletter um, in a very easy way. Um, The future will look a lot more like cable TV where you pay to access certain Mm -hmm. websites. Um, And this is already actually happening in places like Portugal where net neutrality rules don't exist. Um, The internet there very much looks like what, what cable TV looks like for us today where you pay for packages. Um, so that's the pretty destructive thing. They haven't voted on um, repealing these rules yet. Um, we expect that either in December or January they will try to do so. Uh, but we are fighting hard to try to prevent it from happening. Stephen, can you explain part of that process for this decision making on these important issues that are really impacting all of us? 
Sure. So the Federal Communications Commission has its own kind of public process. Um, to give you an example, around the net neutrality proceeding this summer, they hosted a public comments period that lasted a couple months. Um, and in that two-month period, over 22 million comments were submitted to the FCC. The vast majority of those comments were in support of the current net neutrality rules. The chairman, Chairman Pai, has already said essentially that he's going to ignore whatever is coming in to the record. So even though the vast majority of people are saying we support the current rules, he's not actually obliged to act in that way. Um, the FCC is, in theory, supposed to analyze all comments that come in before making a final decision and voting on a final um, order. Once those that order is passed, they have to be posted in what is known as the Federal Register, so they have to be published, essentially, and that process can take up a couple months. Um, there can be lawsuits of groups like ourselves that can challenge a decision by the FCC. Um, Congress, as well, our members of Congress, play a role in this. They can advocate. They can submit letters to the FCC saying, we don't think this is a good idea or we think you should do this. But beyond that, obviously, they could try to pass their own legislation. Unfortunately, as we mentioned, under the current administration, under the current Republican-controlled Congress, you know, it'd be very difficult for anything positive to be passed by this current administration, whether at the FCC or in Congress. Thank you, Stephen. Where can all of our listeners go to find out more? You can definitely visit us at mediajustice.org, um, where we have access to fact sheets and actions that you all can be taking. Um, you can also sign up for our list on our website. Um, that'll, you know, you'll get hit up um, on any time that we're mobilizing an action around any of the issues that I've talked about. Um, in addition to that, you can check out a coalition that we're a part of called the Voices for Internet Freedom Coalition. Um, you can check out our website, internetvoices.org, um, for more information there as well. Thank you so much. And is there anything else you'd like to add? You know, in a place like New Mexico, um, where access to broadband is few and far between, um, where places like Generation Justice that, you know, host the kind of voices of the community, um, you know, that those places are very unique and, and, and dis disparate. Making your voices heard in this critical moment, paying more attention to what's happening with our communication system matters a lot. Um, you all have members of Congress that have leadership positions around um, communications policy at the federal level. People like Michelle Lujan Grisham, and you know, she sits on one of the committees that oversees the FCC. So she is someone that has a lot of power. So it's someone that I would encourage the listeners to, to reach out to and let her know how much many of these issues matter to you. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for this amazing work and energy uh, invested in this super critical work for communities like ours. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Edgar. For Generation Justice, I'm Edgar Cruz.